Welcome. You're listening to the Beaver Dam Baptist Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. If you would like more information about Beaver Dam Baptist Church or have questions about today's message, please visit us on the internet at www.bdbc.org. Well, it is good to see you today, and it is grateful that we as a church, and Aaron specifically, uh, has not thought that Easter morning is just one day a year. We celebrate the empty tomb every single Lord's Day. Amen? Amen. So thank you, Aaron and team, for leading us this morning. Uh, it is my, my privilege and honor to be in the pulpit this morning for my friend, Alan. As many of you have probably heard by now, his mother, Miss Bobby, passed away on Thursday afternoon. And so uh, he and, uh, and his siblings, his two sisters, they're meeting the, today uh, with the funeral home uh, to coordinate the services for his mama uh, that will most likely be on Tuesday down in Dalton. And so because of, of those circumstances, uh, Alan's midweek Wednesday night Bible study will not happen this week. Uh, and so I know I'll fail to mention that later. So uh, Wednesday night prayer meeting, Bible study in the fellowship hall with Alan. That won't take place this week uh, due to what's going on with Alan and his family as they grieve uh, the passing of his mother. And so I wanted us to just begin our time uh, praying for our pastor and his family. And so would you go to the Lord in prayer with me as we lift up that sweet family. Father God, we thank you that you know the number of our days. We as a congregation come before our triune God asking your grace and mercy on behalf of our pastor and his family. Holy Spirit, would you comfort Alan, even as he has comforted so many in this congregation over the past 15 plus years in similar times. God, would you guide Alan as he prepares to preach his mother's funeral in the coming days. Holy Spirit, guide us as a church as we seek to love and encourage Alan, Tracy, Lauren, and Jacob in these days. We are yet again encouraged and thankful for your holy word that instructs us in times of joy and sadness. May you, God, receive glory and honor, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning, I want to ask you, where do you turn in times of trouble? Maybe you're not facing a funeral of a loved one this week, but most likely, trouble has come looking for you. Times are always rough, right? We know that the storms are coming. And I wonder, where do you turn in times of trouble? I've entitled this morning's message, Where Do You Turn? And I pray that God's Word is, in fact, our comfort, our shield, our beacon in both the good and bad times of life. I would like for you to turn with me to the 121st Psalm and see glorious truths contained there within. So in Psalm 121, we find these words. I love the turning of the pages. I'm going to wait. I just love hearing you guys open your Bible. A sweet sound, a sweet, sweet sound. Psalm 121, we find these words. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? 
My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Where do you turn? I want to show you from this psalm three reasons why I believe we should turn to God. You see, it, it may seem strange for you to, for me to say, we need to turn to God in a pulpit in a conservative Southern Baptist church. But I believe that we Christians today are under attack and that we are prone to acting and behaving and responding just like the world. And so I don't want to presume or assume that you or me naturally and automatically turn to the Lord. I want to encourage you. I want to plead with you. I want to admonish you by the word of God that we have a God that we can turn to. And so I, I believe we see in this text three reasons, three rationales, three motivations, three points of why we should turn to God. Number one, God is creator. We're going to look at that in verses one and two. God is creator. Number two, God never sleeps. Verses three and four. And then our last point will be God is your keeper. So just three points today. We'll see if I can get us out on time. We find this psalm comes in that, that range of psalms that we look at and, in, and are entitled Psalms of Ascent. And so I believe that, that scholar Jim Hamilton gives great insight into understanding what these psalms are about. You see, he believes these 15 poetic songs of ascent are songs of the going up. That is songs of the return from exile. And that they are about the hope that God will enact the future salvation through the future king from David's line. The scepter of wickedness will not reign. Amen and praise the Lord. And so today we find ourselves living in the already but not yet as Christians. And so no, we are not the nation of Israel, right? America is not the city on a hill. We are not some sort of select chosen group of God. We are merely a people who have thankfully had forefathers who anchored and positioned us rightly on the word of God, but we are not a chosen nation. We as a church are a chosen people and we need not correlate those two things. Just because you're American, just because we live in the greatest nation does not mean we have special favor of God. We do receive blessings of God. All people, the just and unjust, receive his mercies and his grace. We call that common grace. We know that as redeemed, as part of the church, and I'm assuming that the vast majority of us in here today are professing believers in Jesus Christ. And so if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, I plead with you today to cry out unto him for salvation. Might today be the day of salvation for you and your family. But for those of us that are in Christ, 
We see encouragement from this because I believe that we, like those exiles, the the Israelites that were taken into captivity, that we too are longing for a return to the celestial city. We are longing for glory, or at least we should. Yesterday I stood here and and preached a sermon of of Miss Chris Lewis, Janelle Shattuck's sister, and, and talked about the hope that we have in going to be with Christ. That Paul talks about these bodies are mere tents. They're not permanent structures. Most of us, if we're logical and we're reasonable humans, we don't want to live in a tent. Steph's been watching this, I think, alone on Netflix, and these people are trying to survive for like 100 days in Alaska. Are you kidding me? Like, it was great to visit Alaska on vacation, but are you serious? Like, out in the wilderness for 100 days? I wouldn't last 100 minutes. Um, And so we we don't want to live in a tent. We want a permanent structure. And thanks be to God that these bodies that we inhabit right now, this home, whether we live at 7512 Pine and Drive 37938, or we live in Fountain City, we live in wherever, these are just mere temporary, fleeting residents. As Christians, we long for the eternal. We long to be home with our Lord. And so we, like the children of Israel, I believe we are marching to Zion. We are longing to come face to face with our maker. And so we can find great encouragement. We can find great hope in this day and each and every day that the Lord gives us until his return. And so I believe we see three reasons we can turn to the Lord in this text. And so our first one is that God is creator. Our first motivation for trusting and turning to God is the simple fact that Yahweh is our creator. God is creator, meaning that he is greater than all of creation. He is greater than you. He is greater than me. We are, in fact, his creation. However, I fear that oftentimes we get a little too big for our britches. We think we are better, holier, more righteous than what we truly are. We believe that we have great skills, great minds, great assets. And to be sure, many of you are blessed incredibly, and I'm envious of many of your talents and skills. But friends, you are no God. I am definitely no God. And so I must be reminded that I am the created being. He is the one who creates. And so, so much of our faith is foundational to those first three chapters of the holy book. And so, let us not presume that we are all on the same footing. We must be reminded time and time again. Because of our finiteness, to be honest with you, we must be reminded of who God is. What he has done for us in days gone by. Today's going to be a beautiful day. And I pray that as we walk out of the sanctuary in just a few moments and are are stricken by the, the sun and just like in awe of the glory of God, that it reminds us to worship God, the God of the Bible who spoke into existence all that we see on a beautiful day like today. You see, scholars differ on who they believe 
wrote this, this psalm. Maybe it was David, maybe it was somebody else. Uh, and what, what exactly was going on? Right, and so when we get to that first verse there and it says, I lift my eyes to the hills. And so, so it's not exactly uh, for sure. Is this talking about the, the mountainous uh, region there in, in what we would call Israel today? Or is it specifically Zion? Is it specifically the city of David, Jerusalem, Mount Moriah, where the, where the temple of God was located? Or is it just metaphorically talking about that hills and there, there are things around us? I believe that, that the, the poet is describing the city of Jerusalem, right? The holiest of holy places that the nation of Israel would have known. And like I've already described, we today are not looking to go to Jerusalem, which that's an incredible trip. And I encourage anybody that can to pilgrimage there and to go and to walk where Jesus walked. That's an incredible um, opportunity, an incredible visual to take in. However, that is not our home. We are not longing to go to the holy mount, to go into the holy of holies. We are longing to see Jesus face to face. And we know as we celebrated last week, it is only because of the empty tomb. It is only because Jesus got out up out of the tomb, defeating sin and death, that we have the opportunity and the potential to reign and rule with him forevermore. And so are you worshiping God? Are your eyes fixed upon glory, fixed upon what? will be your reality. You see, all of us in this room have curveballs thrown our way. Whether that is the unexpected call from your accountant saying, actually, instead of a refund this tax season, you owe money. And you don't just owe a little bit of money, you owe thousands of dollars. We love getting those phone calls, don't we? We love getting the phone call from the doctor saying, the cancer's returned. We love getting those phone calls from the teacher when they say, you know what, I think your fourth grader needs to repeat the fourth grade. You see, friends, the phone calls, the curveballs, life situations come at us from a myriad of, of importance. And the question is, where are we going to turn when those phone calls, those conversations, those episodes in our life present themselves? The poet makes clear by utilizing the personal name of God when we read Lord in verse 2. And so we see that our God is an is a interacting God. And so when we pick up and we see the, the capitalization of Lord there in verse 2, we should be reminded, right? We're, we're talking about Yahweh, Jehovah God, right? We're not just talking about some man-made, some make-believe, some fictitious character. We're talking about a real living, ruling, and reigning deity. The God who, remember back in Exodus 3, spoke to Moses. And Moses was, was confused. He said, who, who should I tell the, the Israelites and who should I tell Pharaoh? Who, who is sending me? And what does God say? Flip back over to Exodus 3, verses 14, uh, 14 and following. We find these words. Exodus 3, I'm going to start in actually verse 13. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever 
and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Are we teaching our generations to remember the God of the Bible? Or are we just giving God some laissez-faire kind of name and nomenclature that, yeah, there's a God, but whatever you want to worship, Oprah Winfrey's right, just whatever works for you, friends, you just do what does you and, and you be you and I'll do me. Friends, as Christians, as people who uh, adhere and submit to the word of God, we must rebuke that. We must stand against that. We must teach and train our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And we need not assume that it's taking place merely because we're sitting in a pew. We have to do the hard work. We, myself included, and we must turn and trust in the Lord. I'm going to get back more to that as parents here in just a minute. But I want us to understand that this is the God who we turn to. Jesus uses the same language in John 8, 58. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was I am. A clear indication of his deity, his, his eternal nature. And so I wonder, are you turning to God? Do you understand that he cares for you? God truly does hold the world in his hands. He has not and will not forget about you, his wonderful creation. You see, I've, I've discovered that there are people in life that'll forget about you, right? There are people, right? Let's just be honest. There are people in this life that are merely in a relationship with you because of what you can do for them. We know that, right? We know those people exist, right? And so I, I'm not, we know those exist. We love them, right? We pray for them. But can I just encourage you with something else, friends? There are many God-fearing, God-loving, you-loving people in this church and in this world that will fail you and let you down. They will not be there when your sister dies. They will not be there when your son gets married. They will not be there when you stub your toe. They will not be there. Is it because they hate you? Is it because they, they, they don't care about you? Is it because they don't love the Lord? I, I don't think so. I think it's because they're just stinking busy. Just like you are, just like I am. We're flawed, we're failed. We're like, we, we make mistakes even on our best days. Even on our best days, when I have showered, when I have shaved, I put on my best clothes, I put a song in my heart, I am still dependent upon God making me what I am to be. And so friends, I want to encourage you to extend grace to others, just as you would love them to extend you grace. When they let you down, when they fail you, when they don't call when you're hurting, when they don't read your mind to understand the, the fears and the frustrations that are going on in your mind and in your life. Give them grace, give them grace, just like you want grace. But more importantly than that, don't turn to your spouse, your children, your parents, your friends, your neighbors. Turn to God. Turn to the Lord, for he is faithful. Our first motivation for turning to God is because he is creator. 
Our second motivation for turning to God is found in verses three and four. And it's because he does not take vacation days, right? God never sleeps. Verses three and four, he never sleeps. Let that sink in. God never sleeps. How long have you gone without sleep? Most of you are like, I can't make it to service, dude. Um, and so I hear you. But most likely, you, you've maybe gone 24 hours, maybe 36. Maybe, I, as I was contemplating back and thinking back when I was in college, I think I went three or four days without sleep one time because after September 11th, uh, my friend Bert Solomon and I decided after church on Wednesday night that we needed to go to New York and we needed to help. And so that happened on Tuesday. Wednesday night, we left for New York City. We drove through the night, got into New York Thursday morning. We tried to make ourselves down to ground zero to help and give assistance any way we could. And, you know, as you would assume, nobody wanted our help. Uh, and so we, we were kind of deterred, interjected. We couldn't do anything. And so that night, we came back home, drove through the night again. Circumstances of Friday just led to different things. And, and so in, in, the, in the prime of my life, right, as, as a 21-year-old, right, I, I, I could not even stay awake to drive us back home. I vividly remember, there's a lot in life I can't remember, but I remember us trying to make our way back home um, on that Thursday night, Friday morning at some point, and Bert was exhausted. He said, Scott, I need you to drive. And I said, all right, I got it. And it seemed like, I swear, I went like 30 minutes. And next thing I know, you know, I'm dozing off. I'm falling asleep, you know, waking me up. You know, the Lord in his gracious provision, he sent the rain to wake me up. Windshield wipers, okay. Well, those just started hypnotizing me, right? And then he said, I'm not kidding you, hail. It's hailing on the vehicle. And I'm just like, oh, that sounds nice. It's like a tin roof. It's wonderful, you know. And I, I had to pull over. I was like, I can't do it. I'm going to kill us. Uh, we are going to be dead. And that was just after a couple of days. And then the prime of my life. And so do you, when you lay your head on your pillow at night, do you ever thank the Lord that he ne neither slumbers nor sleeps? You close your eyes last night. And then you woke up this morning. You didn't do anything to keep yourself alive. Let's be honest, you're not doing much right now to keep yourself alive. But do you ever contemplate that your inability to stay awake shows just how finite, just how much of a creature, creature, a creation, creature, you truly are. I truly am. Right? God never sleeps. He never takes a day off. Right? He's, he's, he's never on vacation. He's never like, oh, I'm just worn out. I need to get some shut eye. I need to get some rest. I need to, to, to get away for a few. No, God is always alert. He's always watching, caring, providing, taking care of us, his wonderful creation. 11 days, as I Googled this, I don't know that it's true, but supposedly some dude stayed awake for 11 days. But Jehovah, the God of the whole earth and keeper of Israel, the glory of the true church, never slumbers nor sleeps. Friends, I pray that's an encouragement to you this morning. 
to know that when your tank is empty, you may have mowed your yard yesterday and you're feeling the, the ramifications of it this morning. That's not our God. Our God is not weak and feeble like you are. Do you understand that you may be Captain CrossFit or you may be bedridden. You still need sleep. Our God never needs sleep because he is God. He is not dependent upon the rest that we are. Not only does God not sleep, but verse 3 reveals that he will not let your foot be moved. One commentator pointed out that this is a particularly apt image of God's careful protection because Israel is notorious for its rocky and slippery terrain. This life is rocky and slippery terrain. Amen. However, thanks be to God that he is able and willing to hold the path for us. Are you allowing God to direct your path and your steps? Or are you trying to go it alone? Yesterday, I was, I was talking to a, a young um, mom and dad and their little toddler, you know, just starting to walk and was kind of all over the place and was in a new area. And so somebody else was like, hey, do you know there's steps over there? And like, ah, you know, and so they were like, oh, we need to shut the doors. We need to do all the things to, to, to protect our, our kid from, you know, falling downstairs, right? Which is what parents do. But can I, can I key you in on something? There, let's just be honest. There are a lot of deadbeat parents, Okay. We're not here to name names. We're not here to call that out. Let's just acknowledge that. But let's push in a little bit further and say, even if you are the best of the best of parents, right? And I'm assuming everybody sitting in here is the best of the best, right? Crema de crema. However, there's always a time when you're not watching. There's a time when you can't fix it. You can't stop the situation. Like you can see it, but you can't do anything about it. The other day, yesterday, yesterday, I pulled into my driveway. My boys are jumping on the trampoline with Stephanie and Sutton's jumping up and he's hanging on the net. He falls off and like twists his ankle. And so he twists his ankle and he's, oh, you know, he's crying. And Steph falls down to like console him. Well, what's he do? He like, Daniel LaRusso kicks her in the forehead. And so then she's like grabbing her head. And like, literally in the, in the moment of driving from here to the end of the sanctuary, I see all this go down. And it was just a reminder, right? That that even on our best days, we still lack the capacity and the ability to provide for our children. They're gonna get hurt. They're gonna fall off the cliff. They're gonna make mistakes. And so I just wanna encourage you parents and specifically moms, quit trying to be God. Quit trying to be God to your parent or to your kids. Let God be God. Trust in the sovereign, heavenly Father for provision in your family. Quit trying to, to micromanage and superman all of the elements in your family. Trust in the Lord. He is capable. He is willing. Will you let him? Will you let him care for you and your family? Are you trusting in the Lord? Are you turning to him. Friends, how is the fact that your God never tires, sleeps, slumbers, or takes a day off encouraging you and your faith? Are you grateful that you can call Yahweh your God? 
God is worthy of us turning to him because one, he is the creator, two, he never sleeps, and our third and final point is he is your keeper. Look at verses five through eight again with me there. The Lord is your keeper, I told you. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep. You're going out and you're coming in from this time forth and forever more. God is your keeper. I like to use the word sustainer, right? Thus, God not only creates this world, but he sustains it. And specifically, you and me, his children. He sustains you. He keeps you, right? The Lord is your keeper, verse 5. He is the shade on your right hand. Well, what does that mean? In the right hand, and we can talk about the right hand and the, the provision and kind of like that warrior mindset type deal, which maybe that's what the, the poet is alluding to. But, but I think the, the shadow there is a, is, a, is a metaphor, is an indication, right? Like when you go out this afternoon, you're not Peter Pan and your shadow is going to follow you, right? And so your shadow is going to go wherever you go. You can't shake your shadow. You can't shake God. You can't juke him. You're not going to zig and he thinks you zag. He is always there. What a comfort that is. And so I pray that as you're walking around your neighborhood today and you see your shadow on the pavement in front of you or behind you, that you're encouraged to know your God is closer than that shadow. He is there. Furthermore, in, in verse 6, we see the imagery of the sun and the moon. Why are we talking about the sun and the moon? What's going on here? Well, the, the poet is referring to the, the sun is indicative of the hot, the blistering, the, the scorching heat of the summer. God is there. He's there. The moon is the, is the cold and the, the, maybe the winter or the, the, night, the night sky, right? And, and many of us struggle at night. Depression sinks in at night. And I want to encourage you that God is there. God is there. In the times of despondence, in the times of joy, God is there. Will you turn to him? Maybe you need to memorize this text to encourage you when your emotions and the psychology is beating you up and you're believing the worst possible things about yourself, your friends, and your God, would you recite the word of the Lord unto yourself and unto the enemy? Would you claim victory because God is the victor? God is always there. Verse 7 reveals that he keeps you from evil and he keeps your life. Once again, I cannot not think of, he's got the whole world in his hands when I read verse seven. There are times when I am more lovely and desirable than others. But once again, even on my best days, I am incapable of getting more into his grip, right? Like his love, he loves us. And we, I think as finite beings, we struggle to just comprehend that we can't make God love us anymore. We can't. We can't make him love us anymore. We can't make him love us any less because he's God. 
And so God loves us. And so regardless of how good we look, how good we behave, or how bad we behave, God loves you. God cares for you. Now don't run crazy with that. There are ramifications and there are implications for your sin and your blatant rebellion against God. So do not run with liberty with that, what I just said. But understand that you cannot make God love you any more than he already does. Because it's in his nature to love you, not your nature. You don't, you don't muster up God's love. God loves you in spite of you and me and what we do and don't do. Oh man, that's good stuff. That's where it's coming this morning. God is on his throne. He loves you. He keeps you. He has you in his glorious grip. Verse 8 is a splendid verse to wrap up all that I have been trying to proclaim this morning. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. The Lord preserves his children. This is the aim of our Sunday school lesson we're going to look at here in just a few minutes. What a comfort to know that he who started a good work in you and me will see it through until we come home. The protection and the preservation previously promised are here said to extend to God's people in all their acts and ways and in the coming duration, even to the endless ages of eternity. He will truly hold me fast. God clearly assures us five times, just in this one passage, right? Verses three, four, five, seven, and eight. Five times in this Psalm of his protecting and preserving care. Why then do you and I doubt him and try to tackle this life alone? Where do you turn? We should turn to God because God is the creator. He never sleeps and God is your keeper. Do you know him and trust him? Life is hard. There will surely be difficult days, weeks, and possibly years. But by God's grace and his omnipotent hand, you and I can persevere to that celestial city. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word, which reveals to us that you are creator. Additionally, we have learned that you never take vacation and you desire to keep us in all seasons of life. Holy Spirit, we ask that you encourage, convict, and draw as you see fit in this moment specifically. To the triune God of the Bible, we pray, hope, and believe in all God's people said, amen. Would you stand and would you respond?